Alright guys, so I have my homeboy here, private first class, Carlos Pantojas. Uh, he's actually a veteran, served in the military from 2003 to 2006, uh, am I correct? Yes. Alright, so Carlos, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Um, tell us where you grew up. Well, um, I was born in Lincoln Hospital, uh, raised up in uh, old... South Bronx, over by uh, Brook Avenue, Cypress Avenue. Uh, everybody knows it as uh, over by the Boricua Theater. Yeah, boogie down. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So, for most of you guys that don't know, basically what he just described is New York City, boogie down Bronx. You know, that's where we're from. Me and uh, you know, Private First Class Panto uh, House, we both grew up together. You know, so even though I keep referring to him as PSC Panto House. To me, this dude's name is Bungie, and it's a nickname that he got when we were both younger. You know, uh, if you guys were actually listening to my, my one of my previous podcasts where I went back and I spoke about, you know, parenting issues and stuff like that, where people need to get back into actually disciplining their children, you know, this is a guy that I was actually referring to when I was talking about my past. You know, me and him actually grew up together. And, uh, you know, we used to kick it 187th and Valentine in the Bronx near Fordham Road. And we used to get into all kinds of trouble together. And, you know, I ended up joining the Army in 2001. He joined two years later. And we both, even though we didn't know that we were both in the military, you know, he ended up going and he pretty much joined a similar MOS that I did. You know, I joined up as straight up 11 Bravo. And you joined up as 13 Bravo, which was artillery, right? Yes. All right. Now, tell us about the transition. Like, how did it, how did you end up going from 13 Bravo to 11 Bravo? Well, let's start off with the fact that, um, well, let's start off with Valentine. When we were younger, we used to have a lot of fun going around doing some devious stuff. Yeah. You know, climbing fire escape, breaking it down, and doing things that we couldn't, you know, that we could have gotten in trouble for when we were younger. Yeah. Um, your, your mom kind of took us out of that area because the fact is that she was highly disciplined. She loved disciplining us, well, yelling at me and disciplining you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I was at a, I had just, uh, graduated training for security. And um, I had to uh, went to go visit a friend. He, he needed his hair braided. It was uh, around New Year's, and um, he goes, uh, I'm, "I'm gonna come back. I'm just gonna go get my hair braided, and um, I'm gonna come back, and, I'm, and from there we can just, you know, chill or whatever." So next thing you know, um, he goes over by Ryer Avenue to go get a uh, his hair braided, and. Uh, there was a situation that happened. He ended up getting shot in the heart and dying right there. Um, I, I had just ran around the corner to see what was going on. And uh, and there was my boy, well, our boy, Robert Soto, and me, Carlos Santora. Our boy, Elliot, was laying on the ground there. Um, I then knew I had to do something to change my life because it was either me either ending up like my boy Elliot there or playing bars or trying to become something 
that no one in our area has tried to become is actually become uh, constructive and try to do something better with our lives. Yeah. And so that's exactly what I did. So that, that's how you so ended up deciding to, to go into the military? Yes, because of, um, because of Elliot passing away. Yeah, and for some of you guys that don't know, you know, he is referring to a, a really, really good friend of ours. Um, his name is Elliot Velasquez. He actually passed away in, uh, you know, on Valentine, or, or not on Valentine, in the Bronx in right. 2004. And um, he was actually murdered. And, um, you know, there's actually, there, there's a really long story behind that. Um, we're going to save that one for another episode, you know, but, um, you know, that he was, he was a really good friend of ours. We miss him, miss him very, very much. Yeah, he would have went to the military with us. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, that, that, that's one thing for sure. You know, we always stuck together. We always did the same dumb stuff together. And, you know, just, just the mere fact that I ended up going into the military, Bungie's ended up going into the military. It was without a doubt, you know, Elliot probably would have went with us. But, you know, long story short, he was ended up being murdered and, you know, he was actually a, a real big motivating factor for a lot of us to actually get our lives together because, you know, he had a son and, you know, his son is actually growing up without a father right now. And, you know, his son, even though his son has his uncles, which is us, you know, we're really not there. Like right now, for example, Bungie's is actually living in Florida. So what part of Florida do you live in? Florida. Tampa, Florida? Alright, now, yes, sir. Hey, have you been living there ever since you got out of the military? No, um, at first I was living in the Bronx, I went back to the Bronx, to live in the Bronx. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> got a job with Memorial Sloan Canning Cancer Hospital, <laughs> was living there until recently in 2012, because, the, you know, life was pretty hard there in New York, the rent is way too high. For a one-bedroom apartment, you're sitting here paying $1,300, and it's a, and it's a terrible neighborhood. I was living in 183 in Creston. Yeah, I remember when I was living on Morris Park, I was paying 2250 for a two-bedroom. I mean, it was no bigger than a studio apartment. You know, I, I remember how the rent was out there. Exactly. So it's like you could barely survive in New York City unless you have a, a good, high-paying job. Yeah. Uh, I did have a great, a great job, but it was, you know, it was being a security guard, and I saw it. It wasn't leading towards a career. It wasn't leading towards, you know, something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I decided to start, um, to move to Temple, Florida to go to school for a medical assistant. And get, um, so I decided to come here and go to school here at UMA and, um, got my certification for medical assistant and everything. But we're totally skipping the fact that when I went to Iraq, all right, well, actually, you know what? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, when did you deploy to Iraq? Oh, okay. I deployed in Iraq, I deployed to Iraq in 2003. In 2003. So basically, the first year you joined up, you ended up going straight out to Iraq. Yeah, right after basic training. It was on my, they gave you three choices in basic training on where you wanted to go. Yeah. I put Germany, Germany, Germany. I got orders for Germany. When it was time for me to graduate from basic training, um, they said my orders had changed and they shoved me into the Fort Drum bus and um, I went to Fort Drum, I was in Fort Drum for maybe a month and then shipped to Iraq. Oh, so you, you uh, Fort Drum, correct me if I'm mistaken, that's 10th Mountain, right? Yes, sir. 
Alright, and you ended up deploying straight to Iraq? Yes. Wow, and how long were you out there? Uh, I was in Iraq for a year and five months. Wow, man, yo, I, I really want to express my deepest thanks for your service, man. I, I really appreciate everything you've done. Now, if you don't mind, I mean, I know it's going to be a little difficult for you to do this, uh, but tell us a little bit about your experience in Iraq. Like, what was it like for you? Well, um, we had a couple of missions. Um, uh, one mission was to look after this town called Codicea, not that far from Sauter City, um, and Abuwari. So it's, but it's right there, and between both of them, so it's, um, the prison is not that far from the Abuwari prison. Yeah. So you have the terrorists getting, they'll stop there before heading towards anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had little kids, um, get slaughtered because of the fact that they would, they would take our candy and um, they would call us infidels tell the children not to take any of the candy um, which they still did they still took the candy um, one time uh, we went to go get the candy and uh, the mother kept on screaming at me and yelling at me and I couldn't understand why and it was because they had taken a child and made him into an improvised explosive device because of the fact is that he took candy from us. And the daughter, they beheaded her and put her head in the backyard and, and put a sign for infidel right under Wow. Yeah, so, and then, um, I was just there, and then um, after my last mission on Cardfield was to uh, to make sure the sweep, the bridge that's right there, heading towards into Baghdad for IEDs. Um, I saw a news reporter tell them, please do not go where in this route where we just came from because of the fact is that the terrorists make sure that we, that when we go back, there's an ID waiting for us. Yeah. So I, I told her, please, you know, don't follow us, go towards the other way. And she refused not to listen to me. She ended up following the same path that we followed, um, two miles down the road right here. Kaboom. We, um, turned around. And it was, uh, it was a truck that I just told the news reporter not to do. She stopped there, but she what I told her not to do. And, um, it, uh, the whole, the whole truck was just set on fire, and, uh, the news reporter's head was missing. Um, so we, we're driving around Cardiff, and this little kid comes up to me with a pillowcase and says, Sir, sir, this belongs to you. And inside that bag is the news reporter's head. Oh, wow. And I go to the captain, I go, Captain, you know, I think we found, you know, the, the missing head. And he was like, wow, yeah. So then, after that, our next mission was protecting the first Iraqi president. And uh, I was living with the Iraqi president, um, living with his bodyguards. And this is the first, I think his name was Al-Hawi. And... Uh, we were protecting him, um, getting mortared. We were not in the green zone. We were not at a base. We were living at his house with bombs covered around us and that's about it. And some fences and some uh, garbage bags to try to prevent them from being able to see inside the camp. But they would sit there and mortar us all night long through drive-bys, like shooting up around the area. So your whole time on deployment, you were on the front line. Yes. And what what did this do to you mentally? Like seeing, knowing what happened with that little girl, knowing what happened with that little boy, 
the little girl and everything really didn't affect me, dude. I mean, it really didn't affect me. So finally, when we lost our first soldier, mm-hmm. that's when it started affecting me. You know, when we first when we lost LeBron, he he was he was one of our soldiers and he passed away. It was like it was different. You know, you didn't see the people as people anymore. You just saw them as enemies. Everybody was an enemy. There was no one that wasn't an enemy. So after it you saw one of your brothers, you pretty much, you know, die. That's when you saw everyone as an enemy come back. Yes. And, um, you know, there was, there was no, there was, every single time you stepped out the fence, you know, everybody would say, oh, when I stepped out the fence, I, there was no stepping out the fence. I lived outside the fence. Wow. You know, so every single day, it was a constant worry for my life. I was constantly scared for my life. How was it adjusting when you came back? Uh, it, 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 it was hard because of the fact is that when we came back, it's like my wife was cheating on me um, with some kid that I freaking I raised, you know? Yeah. And um, off the block, and then uh, freaking like having your parents, like you talking to your friends and everybody except for you, Robert, you understood me. Yeah. But everybody else didn't understand me. They all looked at me like if I was some alien or something. And I always felt like that, like, you know, every single time. So I kind of just locked myself away from everybody because of the fact is that a lot of people were saying that I was crazy. So you were, are you, you're actually suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, correct? Yeah. I'm I'm diagnosed with PTSD. I mean, uh, what's what's life like living with that? I mean, I mean, what what actually is PTSD in your mind? Um, PTSD is like um, you know how you got that adrenaline. It's either you know run or or run or fight. Yeah, the fight 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 or flight. Yeah, fight or flight. Yes. Well, just imagine that constantly rolling. I mean, it's just a job. You're constantly with the fight or flight thought inside your head and you know, everywhere you go you gotta look for the exits, you gotta look for the entrances, you gotta size everybody up, you gotta you gotta look around, you gotta make sure that your family is safe, you gotta it, it, that's the way I am. I'm constantly on. It's you no know, there's no off part. So essentially you're always, no matter what, in combat mode. Yes. Even when I go to sleep I sleep with a fucking nine under my pillow. Wow, man, and and what does this do to the the relationship that you were just in? Um, I've been through two divorces. Um, I'm, I'm going through my second one now. Um, I have two kids. Um, I've tried to take care of them, you know, as much as I possibly can. Um, my my emotions are not the same. Um, I don't you know, love me love and all that other stuff like that. Like playing the video games, I used to love playing video games, and it's not the same anymore. It's not like I'm not passionate about it as I used to be. Yeah. And playing the video games that we used to play, like you know Call of Duty, playing together, did did that help you, like with the PTSD and and worries? A lot of people would say a lot of people would say that playing the Call of Duty and all that other stuff might regress you, but the fact is is that you're just half the time you're looking for that unity that you once had when you were in Iraq. Yeah, that, that brotherhood that you have with, with fellow soldiers. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you miss that. So, with you and Carlos, I have that. Yeah. And for some of you guys that don't know, um, when he refers to Carlos, he's actually talking about Bloody Blood Blood 82. Um, we, we actually all grew up together. You know, I grew up with the Cargies. 
until we were about 12 or 13 years old and Bungie's ended up moving and when he moved, that's how he ended up meeting uh, Boricua Blood 82. So essentially, you know, me and Boricua Blood do have a common link and of course this common link is Bungie's. Now, you guys gotta understand. AKA Death Dealer. <laughs> yeah, AKA Death Dealer. Death Dealer 183. So, uh, you guys gotta understand, the reason why I'm actually even doing this interview and, you know, bringing Bungie's in on the show for you guys is because he is actually one of the veterans that's in the clan. That's one. Two, he was in desperate, desperate need of everyone's assistance. Um, due to unforeseen circumstances with his, with his current situation, you know, with his wife and everything and, you know, what's going on with his personal life. He, unfortunately to say, did become homeless over the last couple of months. And what we're trying to do is uh, we did create a GoFundMe account. And the GoFundMe account is www.gofundme.com forward slash E-Y-R-B-C, the number two, D is dog, W. I'm actually going to be putting a link on the podcast so you guys can check it out. Uh, we're just kindly asking to please help one of our brothers in arms he is desperately in need you know to try and get a house and get on his feet on his own um we're just trying to get him all the help that he can possibly get because this man has sacrificed his mentality his life his relationships for our freedom for our ability to do everything that we do on a daily basis that we all take for granted this man has sacrificed everything for it and the mere fact that he's sitting here struggling living on the streets going from house to house trying to figure out where he's going to get his next dinner from is completely unacceptable. We actually need to go back and start repaying our love and repaying in kind for all the sacrifices that soldiers like Private First Class Carlos Pantojas has has sacrificed for us. This is completely unacceptable that our veterans from the greatest country on the planet are suffering the way individuals like him are. And, I mean... Dude, how how are you surviving right now? I mean, I, I know you're bouncing from house um, to house, but how are you doing it? Um, well, Tusker kind of kicked me out a, a, a little bit, but um, I've been uh, I, I've been diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder, so it's uh, the the, mili- the VA is trying to help me out as much as they possibly can. Um, they just connected me um uh, for 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 seventy percent for my PTSD. I'm just waiting for it for the paperwork to finish. Um, but other than that, I, it's just, uh, I think all, all the, all the techniques that we learned when we were in the box meant to survive. All the survival techniques, yeah. Uh, trust me, that's, that's all those street marks, the, the street smarts that. Yeah, if it wasn't for LeBron's and the way we, in Iraq, I would have been dead. Because I would have been stupid like LeBron and walked into an area that was, you know, that was wrong. Yeah. Like he drove his Humvee into an area that was enclosed and and, and got shot. I was just stupid enough to take my squad into that area because the fact is that I saw that it was a dead end. So I ended up going towards the other way, Route Irish, and was getting hit by a sniper. But I still, or we still was going forward to Route Penguin and and to Route Anaconda and sniping for IEDs. See, now, there, there is something else that I wanted to bring up, and it's something that I noticed throughout the entire time that me and you have been doing this interview. Um, I happen to notice that you are coughing a lot, and you're, there's certain times where you're struggling to breathe. Is, is that something that's service-related? Like, is that something that came up through your deployments? 
actually no. scored worse than the 80-year-old guy did? Yes, I did. I scored way worse than everybody in that whole class. And this is something that's related to the burn pits from Iraq. Yes, and um, I can refuse to be... Um, uh, I, 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 I claimed it, and uh, they refuse it. You know, they don't want to... They don't want to give a, a veteran 100%, or they don't want to um, take the faults for the burn pits. Because if they take one fault, they're going to have to take them all. Exactly. And that's something that we're going to be covering here in future episodes. Um, I actually am going to be covering the burn pits where I'm going to be bringing uh, PSC Fontelhoff back, or I'm going to be bringing Death Dealer back, and I'm going to be bringing in Body Club. And not only on the burn pits, but like I said, like you said, like you said and I said, they were experimenting with us. They were sitting here giving us injections for anthrax. They were sitting here giving us pills for malaria. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they're like, oh, throw those away, throw those away, don't think anymore. Exactly. And that's that's something that I plan on doing here in future episodes. I'm actually going to be covering all of those topics. Uh, I'm going to be bringing in a lot of a lot of different individuals. I'm bringing Death Healer back for that one. I'm bringing Body Club Blood 82. I'm bringing Massacre in. Because these three individuals have the most experience when it comes to the burn pits, the experimentation with the anthrax virus, the experimentation with the malaria pills. Uh, you know, Massacre and Death Dealer do have experience with the VA and the struggles that they've been having with trying to get the benefits that we're supposed to be allotted when we get out of the military. The benefits that we all fought so hard in order to obtain, now, whenever we go to try to get them, we're all being denied all of these benefits. And it's not only being denied, you're sitting there and being stared at like if you're fucking asking for a welfare check. Exactly. Language. No, no, don't worry about it, man. We, we do understand that there are a lot of emotions involved when we're all trying yeah. to get what we deserve. And people right. just and look at us like we're just aliens. We can get food stamps faster than we can get our benefits. It's crazy. Yep, that's, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, you have a lot of people that go in to get food stamps. These guys don't do anything to deserve it. You know, all they have to do is just pump out a couple of babies, don't look for any work, and they can qualify for food stamps. But, you know, then you have individuals like us that go out, sacrifice everything, you know, sacrifice our lives, sacrifice our mentality, sacrifice our emotions, sacrifice our relationships, you know, our parenthood. We sacrifice everything, our entire lives for this country, and we can't even get the benefits that we're supposed to be getting. You know, and that's something that our government really needs to look into, because you have individuals that deserve benefits that are not getting it, and then you have these other individuals that don't deserve anything because they're not working for it that are getting these benefits. And it's just, it's disgusting. It really well, is and disgusting. And immigrants coming from other countries and getting all these benefits right away, and, and, and we serve our country, and we got the paperwork to prove it, and we got to fight for benefits. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the, that's going to be a lot of topics that we're going to be bringing up in the the, the but very, very I was an immigrant from Syria. <laughs> yeah, that's just a, it's a little bit too political for the show. Um, I did want to talk about that Syrian refugee thing, but 
I'm just gonna leave that one alone, leave that one untouched. Uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> probably get it started. Like you was on steroids, Yeah, like I said, man. Yeah, like I said, that that right there is you know a little bit too political. Um, you know, I, I'm really not gonna be covering that one. Like things I won't be covering, I won't cover like the you know the Syrian refugee thing. I, I won't cover like the the elections with Trump and Hillary Clinton. That's, oh my God, that's God. way way too political. That's out of boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna cover that because I'm not trying to create enemies. So essentially, what we're doing is again with this show, you know, this episode. Yeah, pretty much. You know, so essentially, basically, what we're doing with this show is. We're trying to bring to light, you know, a really serious issue where veterans homelessness is something that everyone turns a blind eye to. And we do have one of our brothers in arms that is struggling right now. So, again, I'm going to be putting the link to uh, PSC Pantoja's GoFundMe account. I really, really hope that you guys can find it in your heart to donate if you can. And if you can't donate, please just take the information, share it on any social sure, media platform that you have, because who knows, you might have a friend that does have the ability to donate and help this soldier out. He's not asking for much, you know, so please check out his GoFundMe account, and if you have any, any, any ability to assist this soldier, please, please, you know, donate whatever you can, anything you can donate is greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, Bungie, Thank you I so really... Much. God bless you if you do. Yeah, God bless you if you do. Um, Bungie, we're going to go ahead and end the interview now. I really, really want to thank you and express my deepest appreciation for you taking the time out of your day. You know, I do understand that you're doing so much to try and get on your feet right now. And just the mere fact that you can take a couple of minutes out of your day to, you know, sit here and talk with me and give us a little bit about your story, I really, really do appreciate it, man. I really do. Just the fact that you're sitting here talking to me and caring, you know, about the fact that I'm homeless and, and the struggles that I'm going through, ever, it, it, it helps a lot, man. It at least shows that I have somebody that cares and loves for me because it's hard out here, dog. You know, like when you're by yourself. See, and, and that's the thing, man. It's, it's not even about THOG or THOG Empire. You know, this is about all of us veterans sticking together because we're a family. We got to take care of each other. Nobody else is going to take care of us. Yeah, the rest of the world sees us as broken, man. If we don't see each other as as brothers, then I don't know what we're going to do. Exactly. So, um, again, you know, I I really want to thank you for stopping by the show today. I do look forward to bringing you back again. And um, I'm going to go ahead and end the interview here, all right? Yes, sir.